Act Local Marketing for Small Business, Episode 109. And there's no stopping us right now. I feel so close to you right now. Welcome to Act Local Marketing for Small Business with your host, Kaylin Amadio. Kaylin helps smart, savvy, and motivated business owners like you kick it up a notch online, even if you've tried and been disappointed before, or technology just isn't your thing. Act Local will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. Whether you need help with online media, social media, video, or mobile marketing, Act Local will guide you into the 21st century with easy tips, tricks, and techniques that get your local business seen and heard. Each week, Kaylin features a new tip you can use today, as well as a range of guest experts who are passionate about helping local business owners thrive. And now here's your host, digital media maven, Kaylin Amadio. Welcome to Act Local Marketing for Small Business, episode 109. I am the boomer gal, Kaylin Amadio, and each week here on Act Local Marketing, I share a special strategy with you called today's takeaway. And that is where you get at least one action item you can walk away with today to implement and grow your business. And I invite a special guest to help you with some aspect of your business marketing. Today, I'm speaking with a business building expert who is smart and ready to share how to get around some common obstacles of startup at the other end of the cycle, what needs to be in place to sell your business. So stay tuned for that. And yes, you may detect that my voice is a little wonky. The hubby gave me his cold and it has given me laryngitis. So off and on, you might hear uh, my voice is a little a little strange. But it is me. It is me. Now, let's talk about what we can do to help you grow your business today. I have some questions for you. Do you have loyal employees? Do you pay yourself as an employee of the business? If you can't say yes to those two questions, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your business could be doomed. Doomed! That's right, I said doomed. Do you micromanage every aspect of your business? And be honest when you answer that one, please. If you can say yes to that question, again, wrong answer, you're still doomed. So what does it take to really build a thriving business? Do you have all the parts and pieces in place to make your business startup successful? Or even more importantly, for most of you, if you wanted to retire in the next 12 months, do you have all the systems in place in your business that would make it attractive to a buyer? Can you sell your business as a whole and retire to Florida or Belize or Europe? So let's discuss today's takeaway. I promised you an action item you could take with you now to grow your business. Here it is. My guest today will tell you that if your business relies solely on you to function, that your ability to sell your business and walk away completely is severely diminished. Those are his words, severely diminished. What can you do to change that? Start getting some of the systems in place that allow you to make your business turnkey. 
Even if you are the brand, you can transition into the figurehead role and allow the operations of the business to be run by others. But to make that happen, you need certain systems in place. There are at least 10 systems that you're going to need, and I'm not going to go into detail about all of them, but I'm going to list them here for you. The first is backup systems. You need to be able to back up all your data. We're a data-driven world now. Money systems. You need your accountants and your bookkeepers, and you get it, right? Metrics systems. How are you measuring the things in your business in all aspects? Marketing and lead generation systems. Relationship systems. Staying in touch with those existing customers and clients. Your sales systems. Your delivery systems. How are you delivering your goods and services? Scheduling systems. Communication systems, both internal to your company and external. And finally, the the 10th system you're going to need are your business foundation systems, like, you know, legal and insurance. A lot of those very basic foundational things that should happen when you start a business anyway. Those are the 10 systems, indeed, that you will need at a minimum. Sorry to have to tell you. It sounds like a lot of work, right? When I use the word system, that doesn't mean it has to be a big, complex, and involved thing, although the larger your company is, the more involved it will be. But all of this stuff needs to be documented. So drop me a line to ask, that's A-S-K, ask, at actlocalmarketing.com, and I'll point you in the right direction with whatever questions you may have about selling your business. And as with most decisions, first you need to decide what you are trying to accomplish. Then you can put the right things in place to reach your goal. That is today's takeaway. Please connect with me. Find me on Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus and follow me so I can get to know you better. And please tell your social media followers about Act Local Marketing for Small Business. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the podcast and leave me a review, review, review in iTunes. Those reviews will uh, get me noticed so that I can help more busy boomer business owners like you fix the economy by growing their business. It's time for a very quick break. And when we return, my friend... And business expert Fred McClymans is here, and he is stepping to the front of the room. Stay tuned. Axe Local is the place where busy entrepreneurs like you gain more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the Internet gives them the power to bring their business to the next level. Kaylin returns after a short break with more strategies and techniques to develop your inner warrior. We'll be right back. Hey, Ag Local fans, this is Kaylin Amadio, and I have an exciting announcement. Today, October 7th, 2014, I'm launching a new podcast to celebrate the realization of a dream. You've heard me speak often on Act Local about the book I've been writing. Well, that book is becoming a reality. I have a contract to publish The Boomer's Ultimate Guide to Social Media. Soon, baby boomers everywhere will have all my strategies and guidelines in one swell book that'll help them build a map to social media success. 
to help promote the Boomer's Ultimate Guide to Social Media and subsequent books in this series, I've put together the Boomer's Ultimate Guide podcast, where boomers like me and like you can come together to learn, share, and grow a thriving business and a vibrant life. This podcast is 30 minutes in length and comes in both audio and video formats. I interview guest experts on business, finance, health, wellness, longevity, food, sex, dating, and more. You don't want to miss this next chapter in my life because I'm going to help you live yours more fully. Check out boomersultimateguidepodcast.com. So close to you right now. Welcome to Act Local, marketing for small business with your host, Kaylin Amadio. Kaylin helps smart, savvy, and motivated business owners like you kick it up a notch online, even if you've tried and been disappointed before, or technology just isn't your thing. Act Local will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. And now here's your host, digital media maven, Kaylin Amadio. Welcome back. This is Kaylin Amadio, and you are listening to Act Local Marketing for Small Business. And I want to welcome back a, uh, a friend and a guest, Fred McClymans. He is an entrepreneur and a brand builder. He has a rich background spanning from startups to boardrooms and from local businesses to global brands. As a partner in the McClymans Group, he helps businesses and brands develop and implement strategies that focus on growth, customer loyalty, and brand value. Now, as part of this effort, his firm provides a range of services from branding and creative design to competitive intelligence, market engagement and partnership, or even M&A support. And in addition to helping others achieve their goals, Fred himself has founded three companies that ended in successful roll-ups or acquisition. A few of his recent clients include an international sports and entertainment franchise that is looking to tell a better story and increase their social fan engagement, a New York City advertising agency seeking to expand and focus their digital content marketing efforts, a professional services business that is looking to expand through investment and acquisition, and a cloud-based software firm looking to better understand the voice of their customers, their partners, and market influencers. Throughout his professional and personal life, Fred is driven by his love of conversation and finding ways to turn good ideas into great opportunities. Now, to me, he's just my friend Fred. He is a fellow martial artist. He sees me smiling as I say that, and he's the father of three great kids. He told me I could say all that. And a man I speak to uh, frequently on Facebook and Twitter, praise the electronic age we live in. Uh, you can find him on those mediums too. You can find him on Twitter at, at Fred McClymans. You can find him on LinkedIn, Fred McClymans. Facebook, Fred McClymans. Uh, and if you want the old fashioned approach, he says you can actually just plain old email him to Fred at fredmcclymans.com. And I'll spell that for you. McClymans is M C C L I M A N S. Fred, welcome back to Act Local Marketing. Thank you, Kaylin. It is an extreme pleasure to be here today. I am so glad that you could take time for me. Fred has come on uh, the podcast many times over the last couple, uh, two and a half years, I guess I've been doing this. And um, 
He's a very smart guy with lots of insight into the business world and various aspects of the business world. And he's been working on several things lately. And we we thought that that we would just have an interesting conversation about some of the things he's learned lately because he sold his business, one of the businesses that he has started over the years. He sold his interest in it and he's been helping other people with um, selling or, you know, having their businesses rolled up, acquired. And a lot of things have, I guess, come to mind because of this. Both thought that there would be some good learning lessons because of it. So, uh, Fred, you had given me an outline earlier that is, I told you it's really comprehensive. And I said, this should be a book. You've got a, a whole outline here. But there were some interesting things just from the startup phase of a business, which I know isn't exactly what we said that we were going to talk about. We were going to talk about selling a business. But I think these some of these startup lessons are important because if people are going to get to the to the point where they're going to sell a fully formed business, they need to have contemplated some of these things. No, that's absolutely right, uh, Kaylin. And uh, uh, you know, first off, let me just say I am uh, I'm really excited to be back here uh, talking with you because uh, you're right. I do love a good conversation, and uh, the conversations and discussions that uh, that we have, whether they're uh, you know here on air or uh, you know face to face or uh, you know back and forth in uh, some kind of a a random uh, Skype, Twitter, Facebook uh, continuum of of conversations, uh, they're all very great and and memorable. So you bring up a really great point there. Um, when people go to uh, to sell a business, um, one of the things that can very often make the difference between a, you know an okay uh, exit out of a business and a great exit uh, is the foundation for the business that they've built, and that goes back to the very beginning of the business cycle. Um, really trying to understand what you need to put in place to create a, a business that not only gives you what you're looking to achieve from a, from a business perspective in terms of, uh, you know, the personal growth, business growth, uh, stability, uh, something you can pass on, uh, you know, to your family members, uh, you know, or, or completely exit and move to Florida if you like. Um, but w when you're setting those things up, you know, the difference can be building a business or one of the, the key difference to makers there is in building a business that not only provides what you're looking for, but can be transferred to somebody else to provide what they're looking for. And very often that means a lot of attention to detail, a lot of attention to planning, and uh, a lot of attention to uh, items that you may be able to get by with if you're just running a small business on your own. Uh, but you know, w when you start to grow that business, you're ultimately going to need those anyway. So I really try and get people to focus um, you know, on those things. Uh, and you know, one of the first that that always comes to mind um, is when you're creating a business, invest in yourself in the business. That's probably the most important thing that somebody can do. Um, you know, very often, you know, people will start a business. They'll they'll borrow money from somebody, or they'll get a bank loan. There'll be something to kind of launch that business interest there, and and that's great. Those are all great techniques that you should use. But first and foremost. You've got to invest in yourself and you've got to personally invest in your business. That equity stake there uh, not only helps guide what you're going to do with the business because you've got more at risk there, but it's also going to um, help a potential acquirer better gauge you 
and what you're doing with the business. And that's very important when you're trying to get additional money as your business grows. If it's, uh, you know, an investment or a bank line, um, people will look at that and they'll, they'll rank you a little bit higher subconsciously because of your effort there. And it can come into play later when, if you look to sell the business too. And, and we'll end up talking about that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, you know, aside from some um, some value in terms of your focus and the decisions you make, there's a distinct financial advantage to you actually having your own money in as an investment in the business. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> there was something something that you said earlier. Oh, it just slipped my mind. I hate having these senior moments, Fred. These used to not happen to me very often, but now they they seem to happen more and more often. I don't know whether to worry about it or not. <laughs> But, oh, I know what it was. It was um, if you're deciding to sell your business. I know we're jumping back and forth between starting a business and selling a business. But you had talked about someone might want to sell their business and move off to Florida, right? Sure. And that's fine. You can make the choice to close your doors altogether, and, and that's the end of it, and that's fine. Sometimes I run into family-owned businesses that, you know, they've been around for one or two or three generations and they have no intention of closing the doors. There's, there's a certain legacy involved for them. And they want to see that business uh, continue on, whether it's staying within the family or whether they sell it whole to someone else. They want to see that name. A lot of times it's because the name's on the door. You know, the family name is on the door. And they want to see that business continue. But as times have changed as, a, as we entered the 21st century and uh, so many things have changed because of technology. Technology drove many of them and the older the family business was, sometimes the harder time they had uh, coming up to speed with what that technology meant and they find themselves floundering a little bit. And in order to get to the point where they're going to leave behind that legacy for the next generation or they're going to sell off the business altogether, they need to have a lot of different systems in place that they might not have had to contemplate before, like you said. And that means that they also need to have some sort of procedures in place as well, right? Right. You know, and you know, I think you can kind of look at this, um, you know, from a, a couple of perspectives. But right now, in general, what it means to be a business is fundamentally changing. Uh, it, it used to be that, you know, as a business, you had your storefront, um, you had your operations, you had a clerk, you had a, a, you know, somebody handling your books, um, you had inventory, you had customers that walked in the door. Uh, those things have all fundamentally changed now. It, it's more digital, it's more online. Um, you can still have all those, but, you know, very often uh, the business isn't constrained by the legacy business approaches that we had in the past. And that allows you to create a much more flexible business. Um, and in general as well, we're seeing a tremendous push um, into the um, into the uh, the areas of creating businesses that um, leverage a lot more outsourced resources. Uh, you know, we don't have infrastructure. We now have the cloud. We don't have uh, a back office clerk. We have, uh, you know, an accounting service. Uh, you know that that handles that for us. So you know it, it allows us to focus on on our core business. But you know one of the things that you know that I think is is very important here to understand is that as you're laying out your business, when somebody goes to acquire that business down the road, or if you want to keep that business and grow it and hand it on to the next generation in your family, the processes in, and procedures that you have in place will define ultimately the value of that business. 
Um, you know, if you have great books, if you have a great understanding of your target uh, market, your customer base, if you understand exactly what it takes to bring in that, that incremental dollar of revenue or to acquire a new customer into your business, that allows you to operate your business much more efficiently. And the more efficient you can run your business, and the more you can document your business, the easier it is for you to hand that business off to the next person, whether it's a family member, a relative, a partner that buys into the business, or whether it's an acquirer that comes in and tries to take over your business. And, and that right there is, is just incredibly in, invaluable, uh, having those, those in place. Without those, you end up very often finding great business opportunities that can't be sold because they're so tied to the person that's running the business today. That's, that's a really important point. I was glad uh, to hear you say the word document. And I think that's what, um, I, I know you've been working with, with larger small businesses, right? Small to medium-sized businesses. And I deal a lot with the, the very small businesses in the local market. But documenting a lot of what it takes to actually run your business is what doesn't happen. Now, if I went to the trouble, and believe me, I understand people that... It, that it's, um, it, this is not the thing you want to be doing on the weekend, right? You're busy running your business. You're, you're entrenched in all the things that go on in the business, especially if you're, if you're the figurehead. You know, a lot of what the business is about might be about you. You know, you might be the brand of your business. But if you can't sit and document a lot of what it takes to run your business, then you're not going to be able to get the same kind of value for it if and when you decide you're handing it off uh, to the next generation, or you're or you're selling it to someone else altogether, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it, it's not just an issue of of documenting for your own good, which is is very important there. Um, and I can think of some personal instances that I've encountered in the past where I've had to, you know, step back from a business for uh, for a period. I had something else that came up that required my attention, um, you know, or I simply realized you know, this is a good opportunity for somebody else to step in and, and expand their horizons a bit and take control of, uh, of a bit of the business. If you don't have that documentation and the procedure in place, that transition becomes um, inherently risky. And, uh, you know, risk in business is something that we, we always, we, we try and avoid whenever possible. You know, maximize opportunity, minimize, uh, minimize risk. But, you know, I think in general, when you look at a, at a brand uh, or a business, whether it's a small business, uh, and every business starts small, uh, it always starts with one employee, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and grows from there. Uh, I think there's some things that, um, you know, sort of lessons that, that I've learned through that startup phase that, that I'd like to kind of run through here real quick. Sure. Um, you know, the first, as I mentioned a, a minute ago, invest in yourself. Um, if you have a business and you have an equity stake in that business, uh, you know, beyond just sweat equity. You've actually been able to put some money into that business. Um, that makes you an investor in the business. And as you bring in additional outside money into your business as you grow, um, your, you know, your equity interest sits on an equal level with new investors coming in. And you know, that's a, a common mistake that a lot of founders in, in businesses make. Um, where they'll rely upon money from somebody else and their risk if things go sour in the deal is just a little bit less than the person that actually put the money in. Uh, now, if you think about this in, uh, in a long-term deal, when you go to exit that business and you're sitting around the table trying to negotiate that contract and, and maybe the, the person that's acquiring your business or the business that's acquiring your firm wants you to stick around for a while uh, and play some type of a role in the ongoing operation. If you don't have 
an equity interest in that business, very often the people who do control the equity, they'll drive the deal for their value, not necessarily yours. So you know, think of that, that small investment that you put in your business in, in terms of cash. That's your seat at the table forever through the life of that business and being aware of what's taking place. And that to me is, is very important, especially if you're growing a business that you expect to bring in outside investment and ultimately sell through an acquisition to somebody else. Right, because a lot of times that that's the whole point of the startup is is people are are hoping that that they're going to be the next you know Twitter, they're going to be the next Uber, whatever it is, so that they can be acquired down the uh, road. So that you yeah. know, absolutely, uh, you know, and that and there, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, no. provided at the back of your mind as you're building this business, you're also building something that if you choose not to sell can grow and and uh, be you know a sustainable business you know over the long term so you know i i very often um you know encounter you know the great ideas for businesses that you look at and you realize it, this is a two year business maybe a three year at best um and their motivation is to sell the business in that time frame and if you end up not selling the business you've got to perform this amazing pivot this pirouette of sorts to stay viable and alive in, in the business industry. So I think you always have to you know, have a long-term perspective. And that kind of leads me to my second point, which is create killer brand loyalty in your company. Um, your company and the value that you bring to the marketplace shouldn't just be one product. It shouldn't be, a, you know, look, we're going to put this on eBay and we're going to sell uh, a million little tiny uh, stuffed animal widgets and that's our business model. That's not good enough today. You really have to focus on creating uh, a brand identity that people can embrace, they can welcome, and that stands for something, uh, you know, something that, that people can uh, relate to. Um, if you do that, then you can change the products that you sell. Um, you can adapt what you're doing to market conditions, and you can continue to grow your business. And, and that's a very important thing because economics change, business opportunities change, technology changes. And if you've created something where people may love your product but they don't love you as a company, when you bring in that next product, you're going to find it increasingly difficult to generate that next dollar in revenue or to retain that next, that next customer. And you know, in business, it's always cheaper. Uh, with, with a few minor exceptions, it's almost always cheaper to retain an existing customer than it is to go out and to acquire a new customer for your business. I think people forget that quite often. They get caught up in in the whole hype of the sale and acquisition, and you know they think that that all of their marketing is about reaching the new audience, mm -hmm. and a lot of it's about retaining the audience you already have. And it is it is cheaper. It's always cheaper to sell to the people that already believe in you than to go out and, and talk somebody else into believing in you too. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's critical um, going through an acquisition process. Um, you know, I've got um, a couple of clients that I've dealt with uh, just in the last 12 months where um, they, were, they were a bit surprised at um, how much attention potential acquirers uh, were spending to customer loyalty. You know, and they, they want to know, you know, not just, you know, how many customers did you have last year and how many do you have this year, but why did they leave? Um, how much revenue did you lose? Uh, you know when they left. Um, those things right there, you know, they're critical. What did you do to bring them back into the business? Because you know during a transaction, when when you're selling your business, uh, you know, and, you know, go back. Uh, you know, this has been you know one of those great little classic uh, uh, you know advertising campaigns that you see under new management. Uh, you know, very often people think of that as being well, the old management wasn't very good, so now it's it's new management and we're going to be better and improved. 
But when you're acquiring a, a business, um, you know, that under new management doesn't necessarily, you know, convey the right message. What you want is you want uh, to acquire a business that has all the infrastructure in place and the brand value so that when you step in and acquire, you don't skip a beat. You don't lose a customer. You don't have somebody walk away from uh, from the brand or from the business because there is a new management in place. So that brand loyalty, I, you know, I, I can't stress uh, I can't stress that enough. And one thing you didn't say is discovering why the people who are still there stayed. Why did they stay? Oh, a very good point. And uh, uh, you know, later offline, you can you can chastise me for that one. Uh, that's a, that's a, a really great thing to understand in your business. Um, it's not just enough to have loyal customers that come back and buy. Um, and you're right. Very often, people will take the approach of um, you know they'll look at metrics. How many customers are repeat buyers? Great. But then you have to look at that and you have to say, why are they repeat buyers? Because you may find that they're repeat buyers because there's no alternative in the marketplace, which is an inherent risk for you. Um, you they may buy because you are the, uh, the lowest cost provider. Again, a risk for you or for a potential acquirer. Um, and hopefully you look at that and you realize they're buying from you because there's something of value that you're bringing to the table that goes above and beyond other opportunities in the marketplace. And, you know, that's one of the ways that you can create great brand loyalty. Um, you know, in fact, if you had to, um, if I had to sit down and evaluate two potential customers, two potential companies, one that had great product and one that had great customer service uh, or offered a great customer experience, I would probably, you know, lean a little bit towards the company with great customer service. Um, because that's, uh, that's something that if you put a good product under great customer service, you can get great sales results. But if you put a great product under really crappy customer service and a customer experience, uh, you know, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle every day of the week. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important not to, um, not to assume that those customers are loyal and that they will always remain loyal. Because, you know, if you start to get complacent about them and you don't really know why they were loyal to begin with, you're creating potentially a huge problem for yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you may you may come up with a great new marketing idea or you may have a, a new product that you introduce and if that's not synergistic with why you have great customers and why they buy from you, um, you know, you'll uh, you know, you'll be behind the curve. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you a question about one one of the lessons uh, learned in the startup phase. You talked about, you know, making sure that when you have this idea and you decide to to create, you know, a startup, that to have some skin in the game, to have some investment, have your seat at the table is a very important thing. One of the things I notice on your list is to pay yourself monthly, because I think a lot of people don't do that when they're in startup. Uh, that's a great point, and very often they don't because they simply don't have the the resources to do that, um, and. You know, just because you you don't have the the cash resources to give yourself that that monthly income, um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan for that and have that that process in place. You can certainly defer uh, you know income uh, that uh, that you're owed by by your own business. But you know, looking at that in the in the bigger sense, there's a there's a trap that a lot of people fall into with um, uh, with businesses. Um, they pay themselves at the end of the year after everything is taken care of. 
Uh, they've got a business. Uh, they have employees. They have inventory. They have uh, sales costs, sales commissions. They have advertising costs. Uh, uh, they've got uh, attorneys. They account for all of that. And they pay all their bills. And then at the end of the year, they go, great. Here's how much money I have left. You know, here's my uh, my earnings before interest and taxes, my EBIT uh, number, and then they give themselves a uh, an allocation or a distribution out of that. Well, there are two problems there. One. Um, if you do that on a frequent basis and that distribution you know, uh, comprises a significant portion of your total income, the IRS starts to look at that and say, well, you've got the money throughout the year. You should be paying yourself and that should be treated as income and employee taxes and everything uh, associated with that um, rather than taking it as an equity distribution, which may have some tax advantages for you. So that's issue number one. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay, good point. <clears throat> yes. Uh, so. You know, and, and there are ways to work around that, and you just need to understand what the issues are. Um, so, so that's issue one. Issue two is when you do go to sell the business, um, your you know potential acquirer is going to look at the books, and they're going to try and figure out what does it take to run this business on an ongoing basis. How much cash is required in January, February, March, April, all the way through the year? And if you're not taking steady income, you're not accurately representing the actual cash flow required to run the business. You as an owner or as the founder of a business may have no problem taking all your money at the end of the year. Um, but an acquirer, well, they're not going to want to pay their employees that way. You know, unless they're on some tremendous bonus plan, uh, which they have to account for, uh, you know, through the cycle, they're going to want to know what it takes to run that business from day one. Uh, which you know, th there's a there's something worth mentioning here. The uh, uh, during a, any type of transaction, um, after a deal is completed, the acquiring company is going to want to know how much working capital is required to get that business from day one of the acquisition through to the point where sufficient revenue is coming in from ongoing sales and uh, in receivables to fund the business. And that working capital number, um, if you sell your business, very often that gets deducted out of the value of the deal. Uh, a company will say, great, you know, I'll give you, for example, a, a million dollars for your business, but you're also going to have to give me you know, uh, $200,000 in working capital so that I'm not putting additional money into the business over the first two or three months of, of the business. So understanding your, your costs and, and paying yourself regularly, um, or at least accounting for that payment in your system is uh, essential. That's, uh, those are all good points, all of which I would not have thought of, which is why I like talking to Fred, because... He knows all this stuff. He does this stuff. I have I have one more lesson that I want you to share with people about the startup phase because, like I said, we did say we were going to talk about selling a business, but there were things that in starting a business were important so that you can get to the end of that road if that's what you want. And one of the other lessons you talk about is uh, having to do with employees, right, and giving employees some autonomy in acting within the business. Because, you know, a lot of people, like you said, all businesses start with usually one person having an idea. Right. Uh, and they get used to doing everything themselves and they get very invested in the ownership of all these parts and pieces mm -hmm. of their business. And some of them make it to the point where they, they get some good employees. But, I mean, I've worked for small businesses with, you know, two, three, four employees that are micromanaged beyond my ability to cope. So I, I can't stay there, right? Because I'm not allowed the autonomy to to get anything done. So talk about that just a little bit. Uh, uh, sure. There are um, 
There are a number of things that when you're building a business, um, you need to to really take into account here that that relate to the employees and to ultimately the value that you can get out of out of that business. So uh, when you start a business, that's generally your idea. It's, it's your brainchild. You have an idea of how things uh, are going to move and grow forward. Um, and that's great. But once you start that business, you need to recognize that employees need to be motivated in the business. They have to have a path where they can grow and they can expand. And if you continue to micromanage that process, what you ultimately do, you, you may be successful in creating a, you know, a, a profitable business, but you're creating a business that's tied more to you than it is to the employees and the infrastructure of the business. So in that case there, uh, you know, you may create a, a business that has a, a million dollar or a $10 million annual run rate. But if you're the one that's making all of those decisions and you're making everything happen in the business, um, there's not as much value there because somebody who acquires your business, they have to acquire you and you have to stay with a business, um, you know, over an extended period of time. Contrast that to a business where you give your employees the ability to grow the business as as they would help grow the business with their ideas and their sweat uh, and their commitment to the business. A couple of things come out of that. Um, first off, you'll have a bit more time for yourself because you're not having to micromanage and make all of those decisions along the way. Uh, number two, those employees will start to take ownership and pride in the business and they become less of an employee and more of an advocate for your business. Uh, that, that sense of, of, uh, of worth and commitment and value, uh, you've, got to, you've got to validate that within your employees. Reward them for it, encourage it, um, and let them you know, grow your company for you. Um, and that kind of gets to the, the third point here with employees um, and generally you know, business in, in general. If you want to make money out of your business, help other people make money. Because if other people are making money, they will help you make money. So want to grow a great business? Help people make money in your business. Uh, a vicious circle. Vicious it, it circle is. for us. It is. But, you know, <laughs> but it works really well. Um, you know, uh, nobody's going to stick around uh, as a loyal employee. And by the way, you need loyal employees to create loyal customers. Um, they're not going to stick around if they don't have the opportunity to, to make money out of this business and, or, or to get value. Maybe that's a better way of, of looking at it because value for some is money. For some, it's uh, personal flexibility. For some, it's uh, business growth uh, or even just personal growth. If you're not giving value to your employees, um, you know, the business is, you know, is inherently going to not be as valuable down the road when you try and, and sell that business. Right. Now, don't think that you slipped this in without me noticing. You said you can't have loyal customers if you don't have loyal employees. What do you mean by that? Thank you for catching that. <laughs> uh, so when, when you create a, a business or a brand, um, your employees are the backbone of that brand. Uh, they are the people that you rely upon every day to um, to create the product, to manufacture the product, to deliver it, to answer the phone when a customer calls, to sell the product, to go out and actually engage with people. If those um, if those individuals, those those people that you have to trust and rely upon, if they're not loyal to you and to the company, it shows. It comes across in the level of commitment and the value that they bring to your potential or existing customers. Uh, and, and customers will pick up on that. And in today's marketplace, um, you know, it's not like it was 50 years ago where you may be the only shop in town. 
Um, you know, today in the online world, in the digital world, there's always another business that's right behind you, just dying to get their hands uh, on that customer. So, you know, if the customer, uh, you know, if they perceive that your employees are not loyal, um, they'll be inherently less likely to trust your brand. Uh, and that comes through. So the second thing there is that if you have a customer um, in fact, I'll, let me let me put it a different way. I did a I did some work um, about twelve months ago. Um, I went out and I mapped out uh, an ecosystem for uh, a fairly large company, um, looking at you know what was driving customer satisfaction and loyalty in their business and uh, what type of, of value their customers were looking to get out of uh, out of their product. And one of the questions we asked was, what defines a great customer experience to you? Because we know that customer experience is the foundation of, of loyalty. So when we asked that question, one of the common themes that came through, actually two common, one was that nobody had exactly the same description of, of what they thought great customer experience or, or great customer service uh, was. It was all a little bit different. But there was this underlying component of that. People wanted to be able to rely upon a brand. They wanted to be able to trust a brand. Uh, and they expressed that very often by saying, you know, a, a great customer experience for me is somebody, you know, they meet my needs and then they go the extra mile. And too often companies think about creating that that amazing breakthrough level of, of customer experience or customer support um, at the expense of that foundation. You've got to meet the customer's needs. And one of the fundamental needs in business is trust. Um, the trust comes from reliability, predictability, and the anticipation that is created when a consumer thinks, oh, I'm going to get this product from this company here. If you have employees that are not loyal, you have high turnover. You have employees that are absent-minded. They take a little bit more uh, personal break time. They may be distracted. Um, you, or again, as I mentioned a second ago, they may just simply be a different employee. Every time somebody picks up the phone or every time somebody goes online, customers see that. They like that familiarity. And that's where the loyalty uh, equation is, is really built. It's almost Hi, it's Kaylin here. In present time, not in the interview. See, I told you Fred was a smart guy. And once we get to talking, we can really just continue to have a conversation at the exclusion of all else. So I never got around to actually asking Fred to hold on for a second so we could take a break. But I see as we're coming up to maybe another half an hour of, of listening time since the last break that you may very well want a break. So I've, I've stopped the interview here. And I'm just going to take a quick break. Gives you a good stopping point if you need to before you finish listening to the interview. And then we're going to come back and finish the conversation with my guest, Fred McClymans. So hold on. I feel so close to you right now. Tax Local is the place where busy entrepreneurs like you gain more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the Internet gives them the power to bring their business to the next level. Kaylin returns after a short break with more strategies and techniques to develop your inner warrior. We'll be right back. Once there was a smart baby boomer that loved her business. She knew that to grow it, she would need marketing. So she went for a search on the internet and came across all sorts of social media. She went on all the sites and opened accounts 
but after starting profiles on all of them, she began to feel overwhelmed. To do all the marketing experts told her to do was just too big a task. She needed a change. Because she was a smart entrepreneur, she chose two of the popular social media sites to market her business. But after months and months, it didn't seem to make any difference. And she saw other savvy business owners using different sites here and blogging over there. When suddenly, she noticed more clever baby boomers going to iKalen.com and leaving so happy, she just had to see for herself. iKalen.com helped her make a marketing plan to grow her business that wasn't too big and wasn't too little. It was just right. So close to you right now. Welcome to Act Local, marketing for small business with your host, Kaylin Amadio. Kaylin helps smart, savvy, and motivated business owners like you kick it up a notch online, even if you've tried and been disappointed before, or technology just isn't your thing. Act Local will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. And now here's your host, digital media maven, Kaylin Amadio. And that's where the loyalty uh, equation is, is really built. It's almost that this this whole uh, loyal employees leading to loyal customers is the humanization of the business, as opposed to the, you know the business being this entity that you can't really get a handle on. It makes it more human. Hey now, it's Kaylin again. So I promised you that uh, that quick break, and we did that. And now I've come back to continue the conversation. If you remember, I had uh, kind of caught Fred and reminded him that he said you, that you need loyal employees in order to have loyal customers. And that sparked sort of a side conversation. And he's talking about how to create that loyalty. And we're jumping back into the conversation at exactly uh, that point where he had he had just finished making his last point, and I'm starting to talk about uh, it's bringing us to another tangent. I can't help myself; I just like talking to Fred, and it always brings us to more this tangents. So entity here we go. that you can't really get a handle on. It makes it more human for the end user, and then you're much more able to know and like and trust that brand. Oh, very great! That's a great point there. Uh, you know, right now, when we went from um, from the analog engagement, you know, buying in a store from somebody um, to buying online and digital, there was this uh, this period of impersonalization that took place. You know, we didn't have the ability to reach out and and realize who was on the other end of of that line. And when you don't have that, you end up um, having a very transactional business. You have customers, not clients. Um, very little brand loyalty comes from you know brief hit uh, you know engagements of that nature. So now with the advent uh, of social and and here's sort of the the funny thing we think about the advent of social. Social is now so here you know and yet it's so new and recent still. It's um, it it kind of speaks to the pace of, of the, the evolution of business. But with the advent of social. We do have the ability to engage with customers online and to have our employees engage with customers not just um, in their official capacity but in their unofficial capacity. 
they, they see that customer service agent on Twitter. Um, they talk to them on the phone, um, or they may, you know, with with Amazon as an example and the new uh, uh, the new uh, online help service, be able to actually see that that customer, you know, um, customer service representative on the screen of, of their uh, their tablet, their Kindle Fire. Uh, that's a great thing. It allows us to inject a level of personality, you know, into uh, in, into a business. And the value of that, I mean, here's a, sort of a, a slightly off-track example, but every year uh, uh, around April Fool's Day, Google empowers its employees to do something that truly is unique. They take their employees, uh, a, a group of them, and they say, here, go create something funny, create something humorous, um, show your side to uh, you know to our uh, to our customer base, and every year Google puts out uh, you know a series dozens of just phenomenal video projects that their employees create to be silly. I mean, it, uh, last year um, there was a, a group at Google that put out a, a video series around Google Fiber, uh, and if you don't know, Google Fiber is is uh, one of the things that Google is doing to um, experiment for ways to bring higher speed broadband internet service uh, to uh, to communities. So they're actually stringing a lot of fiber in in areas because they realize, hey, this is a way that we can bring more people online. And it is a bit self serving, but it, it's a good effort. So these Google employees put out this April Fool uh, video spoof where they were literally stringing fiber between houses you know, uh, at chest level and people were walking into it and they were tripping and they were falling over. Uh, and, and it was this very tongue-in-cheek approach, but it humanizes the brand. And for a company, you know, like Google that exists almost solely in the digital space, that humanization is so valuable. And it creates not just, you know, loyalty to the founder of business. In fact, I'd say that most people don't know who the founder of Google was. They don't know who the CEO of Google is or who the investors are or who sits on the board. But they do recognize the brand, and they've they've got that brand loyalty. And by humanizing the brand, um, you know, it, it just it adds so much more value, um, you know, to that. And and that's true for just about any brand out there today, whether you're Google, or whether you're you know uh, you know a small business that's just helping the community get through you know life one day at a time. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, Google's one of those businesses where you don't. You don't go to Google.com and like find the phone, the one eight hundred phone number, so you can call them. They're no, not that no. kind of company, right? You can't really call Google. You have to interact with them online, and and humanizing them clearly works in a lot of their products. But you know, they also create a lot of free products and give to us uh, to use, which also inspires our loyalty. But lest anyone listening thinks that oh, you're talking about Google, you know. Um, an international multi-billion dollar company and I own you know the dry cleaner or the hardware store or the restaurant in my local town how does this stuff apply to me but it absolutely does at your scale you know the creating Fred was talking about the the digital world we're in and social media and you know it's so prevalent now but a lot of times local businesses still don't see how to use it but the fact that you know, you're the local restaurant and the, the two or three or four employees you have that that stand at the front door and then seat people and that's their job. They're, I forget what we call them. Are they, uh, there's a word for them in the restaurant industry. The, the host. The host, that's what it is. The host or the hostess. I don't think we say hostess anymore. Maybe we just say host now, but just that's all they do is they seat you. But that same individual can be using their own social media accounts to be talking they can be using the company 
you know, Twitter account or the company, Facebook. They can be taking pictures with the people who come in. They can humanize that whole interaction and scale it to the broader locale so that it makes you part of your community and and you become the business, the restaurant that people want to come to because they know that you're real and you're human and there there's um, real life going on. There. Right. There, okay. There's nothing sterile about it. Absolutely. And, and so let me give you an example of that um, it, that's uh, local here in, in my community. Um, I've got uh, a great friend who uh, has built a, a restaurant uh, business that has a, a phenomenal brand value in the local area. Uh, when he started, uh, you know, many years ago, um, you know, we happened to, we, we crossed paths. At that point, he was a, a bartender. Um, he grew his, his following. Um, he ultimately bought into um, another uh, franchise, or uh, sorry, to a, a small restaurant, and then ultimately ended up taking it over. But it's still just, it's one restaurant. But when you look at his presence online, the the impression you get is that it's this community of people that are supporting this restaurant. Uh, it's a community of people that that enjoy food there. They enjoy events together. They have outings together. Um, you know, I can contrast that to uh, you know a couple of other places in our, our community that spend a tremendous amount of money on advertising. They've you know they show up on every. Uh, Every Google page. Um, when you open the local newspaper, they're there. Uh, when you go to some civic event, there's a banner there. But there's nothing personal about it. There's no brand value that goes beyond that. And w when somebody looks at a, a business opportunity to um, you know to evaluate how strong is this brand and and can this you know can this company actually make me money the way it's made the prior owner money? They're going to want to look at the engagement level in the community and the loyalty that comes with that business. And uh, you know what this uh, individual has done, uh, you know, Kevin Bednars at the uh, the Ashburn Pub, uh, where I live in Ashburn, Virginia. He has created a phenomenal following uh, of social uh, of social community members, and it's not just Kevin; it's his team, it's his staff, um, and he's created uh, you know and just an amazing job of creating advocates for his brand. And it's done nothing but strengthen the value that uh, that his pub brings to the local community. Exactly. And that's a, a great example of exactly what I was talking about. And imagine if if you own this restaurant and you're looking to sell, you know, it's time to move to Florida, as you said, um, and the restaurant down the street has the same menu you do and the same price points you do, what's differentiating you from them. And a lot of it is about the community. And like you said, the customer experience, but the customer loyalty can't happen without uh, the employee loyalty. I'm, I'm right. sort of backing into the whole thing and getting back to giving those employees enough, you know, room and leverage to grow and become a uh, real meaningful part of the business because they believe in the business, they believe in your mission, and just having all of those parts and pieces in place. So now let's let's get to what you and I said that we were going to talk about today, and that's actually the selling of the business. So let's say I'm, I'm that restaurateur or, or some other business, and I've decided, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to contemplate this. What are, what are We don't have a, a ton of time left, so kind of give us some bullet points like from beginning to end as I start to go through this process, what should I be thinking if if I'm contemplating I want to sell my business? 
Right. So um, one of the first things that uh, that anybody needs to do um, when they start to get to that point where they think they may want to step aside is they need to understand why are they stepping aside from the business? You know, what is their goal? And that you know, I can't be more clear about stressing the value of that because if you don't understand why you're selling the business, you can't properly evaluate the different types of deals that may come across, um, you know, uh, in front of you. And it, it it's one of those issues where people think about, you know, selling their business. Well, there are many ways that you can sell your business or that somebody else can step in. Um, you may have a, a situation where somebody acquires your business outright. You get 100% of your cash up front and, and you walk away and uh, you own nothing. Uh, and that does happen. Um, you, know, you can also find yourself in a situation where somebody says they want to invest in your business and they want you to be part of the business with them for a period of time. And you essentially earn your way out of the deal. Uh, you know, somebody, they acquire your business, will give you X amount of money and will allow you to, um, to get an additional X plus one or X plus two or, you know, however much that happens to be over the next 12 months or 24, 36 months as you grow the business for us. And that's very, that's very common. Companies want to have that because they want the continuity. Um, but as a seller, you really want to sell your business and walk away. Uh, and that's where we kind of get back to some of the earlier uh, points that we discussed. If your business is reliant upon you and only you, your ability to sell the business and get your value out and move on to the next chapter of your life is severely diminished. So the more you can do to create that power, that um, uh, that culture of uh, employee empowerment, um, the advocates, the processes, the books, the records, everything in place that allows somebody else to take over your business for you as a turnkey operation, that's where you get the greater value for your business because the risk is, is severely diminished and your ability to get what you want out of the deal comes through uh, very strong. So. Let's kind of you know walk through the process of selling a business. What can you expect? Let me let me ask you a oh, question real quick. Because sure. what what popped into my mind is what about if you are the brand? I'm I'm Oprah or I'm Martha Stewart. Am I just sort of screwed now because I am the brand and and I can't really package this up and hand it to somebody else and expect them to do what I do? Or I guess you could put some sort of transition. In place oh. and hand over the mantle, or uh, sure. And, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I think we should all be so lucky to be Oprah, uh, or <laughs> right. uh, you know, or, or Martha Stewart, or but you know, look at uh, look at a situation like uh, Steve Jobs uh, at Apple. He was the brand, yes. and uh, when he left the business, uh, it faltered. Uh, he was the brand, and he was also the driving force behind the brand from an operational perspective. Um, you know, uh, contrast that a bit to somebody like Richard Branson. Um, who has created a phenomenal personal brand as well as a business brand, uh, you know, with uh, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Galactic, um, uh, Virgin Music, uh, uh, the cellular phone companies. He's there and doesn't, at this point, is not involved in the day-to-day -day business operations of all of these businesses. He couldn't possibly be. But he's transcended that. And I think you know, in the situations of a of a Martha Stewart or even you know somebody in a local community that really is the, the face of the brand, you know, you have to at that point still have the basic infrastructure in place so that the operations of the business can be transitioned to somebody else. And then your role in the business is more of that spokesperson, the figurehead. You still drive the brand. You still drive some of the engagement and the customer, um, uh, you know, uh, opportunity. But you're not involved in the day to day operations of the business. So there are ways that you can do that. But again, the foundation of your business has to be solid 
and your books, your records, your processes, um, they have to be there. And, and sort of the great test is if you walk away from the business for a month, does the business continue to grow and thrive? And if you can do that, I think you're in a pretty good position. Then you can focus on, you know, conveying your brand moving moving forward. And we do often see that a lot uh, in local businesses where there's a, a figurehead for the brand that continues on even after subsequent generations have taken over the day-to-day operations uh, of the business. Right. And and you were starting to say that that's part of the decision-making process that you have to negotiate. <clears throat> You know, with whoever's going to be buying your business, do you get to literally pack your bag and walk away the you know the day after everyone sits around the table and signs the papers, or you know are you going to be there for three months or six months or a year or two years during a transition? Absolutely, uh, and you know that that gets back to understanding you know why you're trying to sell, and when you are trying to sell, you have to make that commitment. Um, you know, too often people will go out and they'll test the market. Um, and they'll get somebody interested in buying the business, and then they pull back and say, "Well, yeah, we're still just kind of we're, we're feeling around a little bit." Oh, that's and, awful. You know that that over time that uh, becomes part of your personal you know narrative. It becomes part of your reputation, and people will see that, and they'll go, "Oh, yeah, I saw that business. They were for sale last year, but they kind of backed out. They really weren't interested in selling." Nobody wants to spend their time trying to buy something that's not for sale. So if you're going to sell make the commitment uh, and sell. Um, The next thing is to understand what you're trying to get out of it. Understand the difference between an exit uh, in a business and uh, you know uh, an earn out or a roll-up situation where your business becomes part of somebody else's larger business. Um, You know and I think before you do any of that you need to make sure your financials and your marketplace are are in order Um, and then aggressively go out and identify who you think likely acquirers of your business would be. And that's something that a lot of people don't spend enough time doing. They, they don't think about um, the fact that their competitors might be a great person to acquire uh, their business, either looking to expand their own interest um, or maybe simply to take you out of a market uh, at some point. Um, you can always look to outside organizations that are interested in buying your business because you bring something new to them. You have uh, a new product line or you have a new market opportunity, um, something that, uh, that they would find to, to be of, of great value. And you know, as well, uh, don't underestimate the value of selling your business to an existing partner uh, within the business, somebody who knows the business and uh, you know, can you know, literally, if, if things are done right, step in without the business uh, skipping a, a beat. And those can, can you know, very often work well if you have the right structure in place and the right understanding of roles and responsibilities, you know, post-sale. Um, and, and the risky time there is, is when you've got two owners that are in the middle of that, that extended uh, transition. And on, you know, on Monday, you know, owner A owns 51%, owner B owns 49 And on Tuesday, it's reversed. Uh, that can be a very, a very difficult thing to work through there. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm envisioning that. That that could be. Um, mm. well, and it's risk- like having two two grown women trying to live in the same house, right? Who's in charge <laughs> of the kitchen? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the yeah, there, there's a, a risk of uh, of decision making not being done uh, effectively there, and that's where uh, again I'll go back to the business uh, or the beginning of this process. Understand why you're selling. Turn it into a transaction. Define the roles that you and the buyer have and how you're going to, um, to relate to each other. Um, and as part of that, set down the terms that you're going to sell the business under in advance. 
that always helps you uh, understand um, the type of deals that are put in front of you and it gives you a benchmark. When somebody walks in the door and they say, we'll give you X amount for your business and here are the terms and conditions associated with that, you can map that against what you would like to get out of an ideal deal. And if you have more than one offer, which is always good, um, you can then start to evaluate them on an equal footing using your standard for what you would think would be a great transaction as that benchmark. Right. Now, um, like I, I mentioned earlier, I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> about this stuff, but I want to be uh, I want to be fair with your time and with the audience's time. So let me just ask you uh, one more question and where because you and I can talk forever, so who knows where it'll lead us. But in light of what we were just talking about and what that made me realize, when you've started a business, you are emotionally invested in that business, typically, I would guess. Yes. That's just going to be the normal human element. So when you get to the point that you're, you've made the decision, you're not testing the waters, you're not sticking your big toe in, you decide that I really am going to sell this business. How can you make sure that you, you know, get through this emotionally? How, how do you evaluate uh, all of these things when there's, there are so many emotions involved in it? If you start a business and you're not emotionally invested in the business, you shouldn't have started the business to begin with. <laughs> Good point. So, um, you know, most people that, that create successful businesses, they they have that emotional commitment, um, and you're you're very correct in, in pointing out that that can be an obstacle during a transaction. Um, you know, very often uh, companies will look at the value that they think they bring to the table, and maybe that's not evaluated the same way that, uh, you know, or the same way that a, a potential acquirer is looking at it. And they can very often let those type of emotional issues cloud their judgment um, regarding a sale. Um, and that's not to say that you should be, you know, devoid of emotion during the process. But you have to approach it from a business perspective. And the best way to do that is to understand why you're selling the business, what you want to get out of the business, and then turn it into a business transaction. And that very often means bringing in the right outside advisors to handle elements of the deal that, you know, quite frankly, you should not be involved in. Um, you know, an owner of a business is probably not the best person to handle the financial um, transaction. They may not even be the best person to negotiate the deal for the business because they've got their own preconceived notion about you know how somebody might value a certain portion of the business uh, you know somebody may say for example well yes our, our product is great but I think the brand has more value uh, an acquirer may look at it and say it's really not about the brand for me for me it's about manufacturing capacity or it's about local delivery service or customer service or, or it's about getting that storefront right on the corner so you have to you have to be willing to let somebody else step in and take a look at it and say, here's the value that the acquirer is looking for. Here's what they're looking for. Here's what you have to offer. How can we structure a deal so that you both get what you're looking to get out of the deal? Um, so, you know, the first off, if you're going to sell, um, finding the right outside advisor can be, can be phenomenal because it, it takes that personal um, you know, interest and turns it into a business interest. And you want the deal to be a business deal, not a personal deal. Find the right financial advisor. Find somebody that can actually walk you through the financial aspects of the deal and make sure that your books are exactly the way they should be, that you're presenting the right data that somebody is going to be able to look at and make a decision on the spot to acquire this business. Um, or at least, uh, you know, uh, with as little diligence uh, as possible uh, going through that. So, you know, finding that advisor 
um, is critical. And it's not that difficult to do. You know, there's a lot of similarities between doing this, uh, selling your business, and uh, selling your home. Oh, right. very much. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of the largest, most monetarily valuable things that you own. You know, one's you know personal, and the other one, like you said, should be just business. But you can't help it. it it's your business is going to be personal as well. You're going to be emotionally invested. But what I was hearing you say reminded me of you know when you're in your home, the colors you painted your wall, or the tile that you put in the bathroom or on the floor. Those are the things you loved. Right. But the potential buyer that comes in might love your home not for those reasons. They might hate the color on the wall. They might hate the tile. They might start to see great bones, and I can't wait to rip this apart and make it mine. Right, and right. You, that's where being emotionally invested and handling these kinds of transactions can really get in your way if it's your business. Right. And, and and having somebody come in independently and say, here's the value that you bring to a potential buyer, um, that, that can be worth its weight in gold because your value uh, in a business, it may be more lifestyle oriented. It may be more personality oriented to you. You may have, the, as you said, the, the color on the wall. Um, you know that that you particularly like that a buyer really doesn't care about. They want to take the business and um, you know use it to further their business interests. And right. yours and theirs may not always always be the same. Um, you know there is one thing that I'll that I'll I'll say here as sort of a, a closing uh, thought on this whole process. We're talking here about somebody selling their business, about taking you know an idea and turning it into a sustainable uh, operation, and then selling it to somebody else. But the reality is, businesses don't get sold; they get bought. And if you're trying too hard to sell your business, uh, if you're trying to uh, you know put that lipstick all over the pig, people <laughs> will see that. Um, the best thing you can do is to create a brand that has value, that is sustainable, that can live without you. People will find that and they will want to acquire your business. And when you have somebody that wants to acquire your business, that's very different than trying to convince somebody they should buy your business. And what a great legacy to the world you're leaving. Indeed. Right? When you've created something that other people see so much value in that they they want to buy your business. You know, um, you know, earlier this year, um, uh, we uh, uh, we concluded uh, a transaction for a business that I started a number of years ago, and somebody afterwards uh, they asked me about the the deal, and you know I, I could not discuss the, the the financial aspects of the deal, and they pressed a bit and said, well, you know, what kind of value did you get there? And I said, well, the value um, we created over 150 jobs uh, over the course of this business. Uh, we helped people, you know, buy their their home. We helped them put their kids through school. We gave them opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. That's the value of the business. Right. And walking away from that sometimes is, is very difficult. But when you've achieved that um, and you can look back and say, here's the legacy and here's what we gave to the community, um, it's a, a phenomenal feeling uh, in being able to, to look back and go, we achieved something. And now, by the way, we're going to go achieve something else. Right. And that's what local business, frankly, is all about. It's about the community. And when the community is strong and thriving, you know, it's like that pebble in the pond and it ripples out. And then before you know it, we don't need Washington, D.C. That You know, everything's functioning <laughs> without them and we're all doing the right thing and the economy's thriving. And that's my goal. That's my goal here at Act Local Marketing for Small that's, Business Spread. That's a great goal. <laughs> so I want to remind everyone they can find you. 
uh, on Twitter at Fred McClymans. Let me spell Fred's last name again. It's M-C-C-L-I-M-A-N-S. They can find you on LinkedIn, Fred McClymans, Facebook, Fred McClymans. Oh, I'm, re- I'm reading and the S went to the next <laughs> the line. Facebook, Fred McClymans. And of course, you can always email Fred if uh, you have questions, you think you have a business and it's, uh, it's time for that business to be bought. I'm not going to say that businesses get sold anymore. I, I like that attitude that your business is in a place to be bought. You can uh, email Fred, fred at fredmcclimans.com. Thank you so much for taking time for me today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, uh, it's always a joy uh, having a great conversation with you. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Uh, fred always keeps me on my toes, keeps me thinking, and I like that. You are listening to Act Local Marketing for Small Business. You know, we bring you a new episode every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern Time uh, with great guests like Fred with um, wonderful gold nuggets, as I call them, and I keep them in a basket over here. I pick up all those gold nuggets they leave, and I put them in a basket, and I share them with you because uh, I really want to help you move your business at least one step forward every week when you come here to listen. So until next time, I very much would like you to take care. Join Kaylin for more marketing madness each week on Act Local Marketing. It will leave you with more ideas, more understanding, and more knowledge about why and how harnessing the internet gives you the power to bring your business to the next level. Act Local Marketing for Small Business goes live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern and can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and at actlocalmarketing.com. Have a question for Act Local? Email Kaylin at ask at actlocalmarketing.com. That's A-S-K at actlocalmarketing.com. And she may answer you right on air. Make sure to include your name and business website for a free shout out. Don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about Act Local and leave Kaylin a review at the iTunes store. See you next time on Act Local Marketing for Small Business.